Welcome to Once Upon a Crime. I'm your host, Esther Ludlow, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me on my true crime journey. Once Upon a Crime is a podcast that tells the story behind the story of real-life crime. Each week, you can come along with me as I dig into each story to bring you all the details of the crime, the criminals, and victims, to uncover the why behind some infamous crimes, as well as fascinating lesser-known cases. Presented in a storytelling style, Once Upon a Crime takes you deep into each case to discover details you won't hear anywhere else. Every month, a new true crime topic is covered. Killer kids, deadly duos, mass murders, tragic deaths of music superstars are just some of the series covered on Once Upon a Crime. Here's a clip of what you'll hear. And just after the family returned from the cemetery, their phone rang once again. The killer again asked to speak to Don. He bragged that he'd been at the funeral, but the officer stationed there had been too dumb to spot him. He hinted that he was planning to kill himself, but said he would call her again the following Saturday, which would be the two-week anniversary of Sherry's death. The sight of the band on stage being crowded out not only by audience members, but numerous burly Hells Angels, was like nothing ever seen before. The band was barely visible for all the bodies surrounding them as they tried to play their instruments for an audience of over a quarter million people now. But that wouldn't be the most bizarre thing to occur during Santana's set. All of a sudden, a large overweight man pushed to the front of the stage. He was completely nude and having a wonderful time dancing exuberantly. At some point, he made contact with one of the Hell's Angels. Before anyone knew what was happening, a group of angels began beating the man with fists and kicking him with their boots. He drove slowly home, arriving around 1 a.m. The family dog was whining on the porch, wanting to be fed. He'd forgotten to do so before he'd left. So, stepping over his father's body, he'd filled the dog's bowl with food and then put it on the porch. He sat with the dog as he ate. When the dog had finished eating, he took the bowl back inside, and it was at that time that he'd called the police to report the murders of his family. The detectives and the minister sat in stunned silence, listening to Lee Andrews calmly and matter-of-factly describe his act of family annihilation. When asked what he felt about what he had done, Andrews answered, quote, I didn't feel anything about it. The time came, and I was doing what I had to do. That's all there was to it, unquote. Up until that time, Nick still believed he was going home. It is unknown when he came to the realization that the plan had changed, if indeed that had ever been the plan at all. Nick was driven up the winding road, and at some point had his hands duct taped behind him and tape also placed over his mouth. When they reached Lizard's mouth, Graham Presley stayed in the car, while Ryan Hoyt and Jesse Ruge led Nick to the boulder. Charged with five other murders, Eileen would plead no contest the following March, skipping the need for a trial and moving straight to the penalty phase. The judge and everyone else tried to talk her out of that, but she was insistent. She also didn't want to be required to be in court during the penalty hearing. She still spoke about self-defense and conspiracies. She also agreed to travel with investigators to try and remember where she might have left Peter Seams' body in South Carolina. She did go, but she couldn't remember, and his body has still never been found. 
If you like what you've heard, please take a moment to subscribe to Once Upon a Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. New episodes release each Monday, so subscribe today so you don't miss an episode.